Hello and welcome to the first Flag on the Field podcast. Um, I'm Aaron Edgar. I'm joined by my good friends, Scott. Paul oh, Scott's jumping straight in there. Paul. Paul Mallon. Paul Mallon, thank you. It's like a crime line up there, just the Perry's. He's look quite chuffed with yourselves there, quite content. First podcast? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Lovely. Character <laughs> coming right through there. Um, you sound like the top boy seeing Home Alone. Y- yes, that's it. You, you look a wee bit more like one of the bugglers, but other than that, you're fine. Um, so we are sitting watching the start of the week five games. Um, the Chicago Bears and Oakland Raiders are on in the background today. Um, but we thought this would be a good time to start off doing our, our first podcast. Um, something we've talked about for a while, lads. Yeah, bit of a strange time to start week week four into the season, but um, good a place as any. Scott, looking forward to it. Definitely, it's been a really good season to this point, and it's starting to get to the point where kind of you're, you're starting to see where teams are kind of placing in terms of where they'll go going forward. So, looking forward to this portion of the season now. Let's face it; up until this point, it's been garbage. It's you know, it's time. It's starting to get to the crunch. You know, the the bit the big boys come in at that point. That's when we kick in. Um, so, this is. I suppose I, I get to know you kind of podcast, but we're going to talk a little bit about the league so far, um, and we're going to talk about a little bit about ourselves and, and the NFL. Um, first question anybody will be asking probably is, why would we do an NFL podcast? Um, so probably from my point of view, um, we spend a lot of time talking about the league. Um, Scott, you're a famous shirker. Um, my understanding is at work you do next to nothing. Um, and you spend a lot of time reading about the league. Um, Paul Marlon, my understanding is you are almost identical and you sit and watch videos all day. That's pretty yeah. much accurate. I, I work shift, so pretty much sat in my hoop, reading stuff, watching videos. Um, pretty much filling my time with anything other than work. Lovely. Um, so, and, and we kind of throw a lot about in our group chat in terms of the league. Um, we should probably get right to it. People might be wondering, asking. Um, who each person supports. We'll, we'll start with Paul Marlon. Um Do you want to apologise in advance or you just want to go right in for it? Yeah, um, I'm a New England's Patriots fan. I was quite late to the party, I will admit that. Um, I've always kind of enjoyed the NFL, but I never really followed a particular team. Um, I'll just enjoy particular players, quarterbacks, things like that. Um, the last couple of seasons, I've definitely became a, a Patriots fan, uh, kind of taking your lead. That, well, thanks very much. You've just blown my cover as well. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, that gives that away. Um, I'm also a, a New England Patriots fan, um, and and I suppose we'll get into that a little bit. Why? Um, I don't wear a Making America Great Again hat, just in case anybody's wondering. Um, and I would. I'm quite progressive <laughs> in, in, in a lot of senses. Um, so we we should get that out of for a bit of variety, though, Scott. Um, can you please tell us that you support someone else? So I'm an Oakland Raiders fan. Um, when I grew up, even before I, I started liking American football, I was really into kind of hip hop music. And growing up, the kind of hip hop scene, particularly West Coast hip hop, was the iconic kind of um, attire was the LA Raiders gear at the time. And even before like in NFL, I was always aware of who the Raiders were. And when I started to follow the league a bit more, I just kind of grew more interested in watching Oakland to the point where I'm a fan today. Hopefully, what will become helpful is as well as through the course of the season, and then over the next couple of years, you can maybe educate me and Paul as to what it's like to support a team that's games don't really matter week <laughs> on week. Um, because as much as we we are quite happy and we're quite content at the moment, we've got a lot of barren years coming up. Um, there's there's come up and coming away. Let's let's face it. It's it's definitely coming at some point. Um, there's a, there's a cliff to be fall fell off, and it's uh, it's fast approaching. I feel so. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that and yeah, we'll just need to deal with that when it comes. But Scott will, I'm sure, guide us, guide us through that. Um, so in terms of, again, as just an introduction, we want to get an idea of where we sit in terms of NFL. Um, it's not our first sport in a lot of ways. Um, obviously, growing up in, in Scotland, like like most folk and probably a lot of people that will be listening, um, football to us means soccer. Um, so we didn't really have exposure to the league until maybe you're a bit older. Um, what's kind of first recollections of the league, whether it be popular culture or you know specific teams? Wh- where do you guys sit? So I think for myself, I was always aware of the league without actually following it. And I think I got to a point, I think the first Super Bowl I ever watched in its entirety was the, the Patriots-Giants, mm-hmm. um, which was in 
2008, I think. Um, and at that point, all I did was watch Super Bowls every year. I liked the spectacle of it. I did enjoy the game, but I wasn't too familiar with the rules. And just as time grew, he started to develop a, a better understanding of the rules to the point where that developed into me watching later playoffs. And now I just fall religiously every Sunday. NFL Red Zone, that's my Sunday's pretty much planned. But that was my kind of early recollections. It, it's funny as well because probably when we were a bit younger, Sunday nights would have been La Liga. You know, in terms of Sunday night, you would probably watch whatever game was on the TV. Whereas now, to be honest, I, I don't think you would swap. You wouldn't swap Red Zone for anything. Um, you know, there's there's nothing else that competes with it. Paul, what about yourself? What's your kind of earliest recollections? Well, I didn't have I didn't have Sky, um, so my Sunday nights consisted of Heartbeat and London's Burning, not La Liga. <laughs> um, right before your school bath. <laughs> <laughs> uh, much like Scott, uh, it's more just kind of. Aware of the culture, um, just kind of aware of teams without ever having actually seen an American football game. I believe it was BBC or Channel 4 mm-hmm. started taking up um, Super Bowls. I remember staying up when you're at school, um, staying up to like 2 or 3 in the morning, trying to watch as much of it as you can, fighting sleep, and then going in the next day to high school and uh, catching a few a few Zs in your, your morning class. But yeah, much like Scott, the first proper one I remember was uh, New England v Giants 2008. First proper one I watched all the way through. Um, first one you proper remember, like great players like Randy Moss, Wes Welker, and obviously, uh, I was about to say prime Tom Brady, but I must think it's been prime Tom Brady uh, for the last kind of 15 years. That's that's a podcast in its own, I think, um, trying to discuss Tom Brady's prime, but I, th- I think you're. I think Channel 4 had, when, when we were at school, I'm pretty sure Channel 4 had the Super Bowls and had kind of... A package of you know rights to the league, but now both the BBC and Channel Four have, or certainly in recent years, had the Super Bowl as well as Sky, which is bizarre. So there's obviously a fight for the Super Bowl, but regular season coverage really has has taken off in the last you know in the last decade with Sky Sports coverage, and obviously we watch it every Sunday. Red Zone, uh, Neil Reynolds, and, and guys like Jeff Reinbold, you know, they've really changed probably the nature of how the league is viewed in the UK. I would I would probably suggest. I think that is something that um, over the years, when we were talking about watching early Super Bowls, it's because all you really had was that, as well as your various highlight packages. Whereas now on Sky Sports, you've got three games on a Sunday, you've got Red Zone, you've got all the coverage. So maybe your exposure wasn't to the point where you could mm-hmm. become a fan because it was a lot harder to get the content. Whereas now on Sky, you can't escape it and you've got uh, that kind of constant um, stream of content for it to the point where you do just become invested as a fan. Red Zone as well makes it um, really easy for people to become casual fans. Um, it's quite easy to obviously watch one game, but when, when you're watching just one specific game, maybe in company, um, a lot of kind of, for lack of a better term, you know, like football dads or Celtic dads, mm-hmm. uh, will say, oh, is that that sport? It's awful adverts. It's, it's rotten. You know what I mean? It's just constant adverts, constant adverts. So stop, start, stop, start. But um, Red Zone kind of takes that out of it. If you're watching it in company, it's uh, you're just kind of seeing the good juicy bits. Red Zone is six hours of... Advert-free, pure, prime, unadulterated NFL from start to finish. And it is a league that's filled with endorsements, advertisements. But if you want to sit and watch six hours of football and learn the game, you can absolutely do that, which is incredible. It also makes it easier to kind of learn about the different players and different teams because if you look at the rosters and squads, it's it's not impossible even if you support a particular team and watch them week in, week out. I mean, you, you can't possibly know every single player um, inside out, know who, where everybody plays, what they're good at. It's not like, um, you know, like soccer for us, like Super Sports Celtic. Um, particular players, who your favourite player is, but you kind of know everybody in the squad. But there's just so many uh, with regards to NFL. It's, the red zone makes it easier to pick up favourite players. Uh, you've got your fantasy football and things like that. It makes it a wee bit easier to follow, uh, again, if you're a casual. And whether you want to watch, listen, read, you've got everything at your fingertips in terms of league coverage, and it's it, it's just absolutely incredible. As I say, it's unparalleled. Um, in terms of you, Paul, your your kind of earliest, you know, awareness of the league, or recollections of the league. Where, where, where what would you kind of pick out? Well, much like Scott, it was kind of pop culture reference, pop pop culture references. Uh, for, as soon as you start watching TV, anything American, um, you know, it's going to mention popular things like American football, baseball, uh, stuff like the Super Bowl episode, The Simpsons, for example, mm-hmm. um, kind of showed the 
kind of silliness of how squads were moving about at that mm. time. Um, the kind of particular jokes where they cover their mouth talking about teams in the Super Bowl because they mentioned particular teams so it could be edited out or the Atlanta Falcons because <laughs> you know teams were just moving about left, right, and centre around about that time. Um, also, just like Scott's team as well. well but li- just to clarify, like Scott's team. They, 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 like they Scott's team, like uh, many iterations. They moved from LA to Oakland, so it was still California. I don't really think that counts. I think it definitely counts. It definitely counts. Let, let, let's not be partisan here, but we're all friends here. Um, so, The Simpsons, I don't think. Is Ace, Ace Ventura as well was another one with the Miami Dolphins. That was uh, Laces a, out. a Laces big out. one at that point. Yeah, Laces Out meant absolutely nothing, but it was uh, mm. such a great catchphrase. I think if you're not an NFL fan, you will still be aware of Laces Out and what that probably means in terms of uh, in terms of that. But it's for for me, earliest memories of the league. Um, to be honest, it, uh, other than kind of popular culture, I didn't really have an awareness of the league. I would say the nipple slip, two thousand four. Is genuinely <laughs> what the first thing that comes to mind. If you were to ask me, really, at what point did the NFL become something that you were aware of? Um, that was the 2004 Super Bowl. Um, it, in fact, probably one of the greatest games in um, you know, Super Bowl history. Genuinely an incredible game. Um, Patriots beat the the Carolina Panthers. Um, at that time, I wasn't a, a New England Patriots fan because I didn't really have an awareness of the league. But I was a Janet Jackson fan. Big fun. <laughs> um, I, I was more Timberlake fan myself. Unfortunately, there was no slip there for you. That's, that's disappointing. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> um, so that was your kind of earliest recollections of the league. And, and I think it's important to maybe just um, give an awareness of how you became, um, you know, where that comes from. When you then do start watching the league week in, week out like we do and kind of immerse yourself in everything it's got to offer... Favorite moments? You know, what's your high points as a kind of a fan? Not specifically of um, of your own team, but the league itself. What, what would your kind of high points be, Paul? I'll come to you first. Kind of high points for me when NFL was characters. Um, for me, um, it was Gronkowski, um, just an absolute great guy to watch on the field, off the field, interviews with him. He just doesn't seem like a regular human being, which which he isn't. Either on his personality or his playing style. He's a very slimmed down version of himself now. He's still ripped. He still still looks like he could uh, <laughs> catch a ball. He looks more like a wide receiver now. Um, this isn't something that... Well, let's go with it. Is it still your biggest regret that you didn't buy that jersey? You had the opportunity to get a Gronk jersey signed recently and you, you passed it up. I did, and I, I do regret it. I, st- I still to this, I, I don't have anywhere to put it, um, and I would have to hide it till I could justify the uh, outlay for it. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll not talk figures, but uh, <laughs> it was at least a two-figure sum. <laughs> um, Scott, what about yourself in terms of um, you know the league favorite moments, favorite players? What what can I, if you had to pick, you know something? What what are you going with? I mean, in terms of moments, there's never really been anything that's like it's a favorite moment. It's just something that. I can always at a moment just recall it. A couple was the actually the Seahawks Patriots game, the the kind of last drive for uh, Seattle, second down, mm-hmm. throwing the ball. It's just one you always go back to, and in hindsight, you just always think what was Pete Carroll thinking at that right. point, and it was Marshawn Lynch was in the the form of his life in that postseason, and I think everybody afterwards questioned it. So it's not really a favourite memory, it's just something I always recall. In terms of players, I've always been a big fan of Aaron Rodgers. It does seem like he's on the kind of downside of his career at this point, but I always remember a game we actually watched together was the the divisional round against the, the Cowboys um, when it went down to a kind of field goal in the last seconds where Rodgers just put on an absolute mm-hmm. masterclass and Green Bay at that point were a, a very good team and he kind of dragged them to the, the NFC Championship and it just showed how great he was. I've always enjoyed watching him. Uh, yeah, that's the kind of game where you're just watching in awe of some of the talent of these people. I, I really think as well that that's how people become enamoured with the league. I think it is most kind of NFL fans that are here in the UK probably have that one moment that they think, you know, everybody's got their stories of how they pick different teams and there's some really good ones for that, actually. If, if, if you've never checked that out, have a Google at that. Um, but beyond that, there's always just this one moment sometimes that you look and think. I remember watching that Super Bowl. Was, that was incredible. Um, you know, two yards out, maybe. Um, you get Marshawn Lynch there, peak Marshawn Lynch as well. You just you just punch that ball in. Um, and, you know, that's it. 
throws it, he gets jammed at the line. That's, that's an incredible play, and um, that's one as well in terms of when we talk about how plays are broken down and the level of detail that goes into these decisions, I think it's incredible. And the amount of coverage pre and post of that play is it's probably one of the most famous plays in league history. I mean, Russell Wilson, you know, it's it's odd because it, you immediately think, why is a quarterback throwing it? But that's a decision then that comes from the offensive coordinator. And so then you have just this, it's almost like uh, you have a review in it after, you know, by media, journalists, but internally by fans as well. They're able to try and identify the thought process that arrived at that decision to throw the ball two yards out when Marshall Lynch is in the field. I think it's one of those games where when you actually look back in that Super Bowl, no one talks about the Patriots winning. The, the first mm-hmm. point of conversation is always that play mm-hmm. and I, I just think that shows how memorable it actually was at the moment and still to this day and, and that includes Patriots fans as well most Patriot wins big wins are generally people try to look for excuses as to why they, they shouldn't have won or the other team lost it so that's, that's just kind of par for the course and we have the voice of the New England Patriots here, Paul Martin. Um but, but, but that's absolutely right for, for me I think I, I, I don't mean to be cliched but Atlanta, 28-3, halftime. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Um, I watched that in um, the Hofbrau House in Berlin and I went in full garb. Patriots jersey on, felt pretty foolish at halftime. But you know how that way that you know that you look foolish and you sound foolish, but you think, I've dug myself a hole here. I'm just going to stick with it. And it worked out well in the end because um, there was a couple of Falcons fans in, but it was a lot of just league fans. And everybody obviously doesn't want the Pats to win. Absolutely understand that. That's fair enough. But you then enjoy it when you do get you get that comeback. And in terms of a game, I think that's incredible. You know, you tell people twenty eight three, and they know immediately what you mean. I think it's an argument to emphasise the kind of little details that change football games. And Atlanta, when they were up kind of big, they were at a point late in the game where a field goal would have pretty much killed it. And I think they were like three four yards from memory of having a kind of a good opportunity a field goal decide to throw the ball and I think it was Hightower that sacked Matt Ryan, put him out of range, kept the score within the, the Patriots reaching again, just shows the kind of little details that can totally change the complexity of the game and for that point New England turned it on its head. That's it. I, I think that when I started watching NFL, I, I don't know why I started watching it to be honest. I, I, I was kind of thinking about this today. I, I don't really know. It, it just kind of happened. You, you start watching it and then you obviously have a team from there. Um, the one thing that I always thought about the league, and I probably still think just now about rugby, which is entirely disrespectful, I just think, or I thought at the time, that it was it was just all physicality. I thought it was just a case of lining your guys up versus our guys and whoever's stronger will win. Actually, in terms of detail, analytics, preparation, the league's in, it's just incredible. I mean, obviously everybody will be aware of probably hard knocks, which gives an insight into training camp. Um but beyond that, you can just, you know, the amount of staff, you know, you look at the, the Cowboys, there was the Amazon Prime original um, that looked at the, the, the Cowboys set up and it's probably the most advanced league in the world in terms of how it prepares, how, it, you know, every single play is set in advance and it's just a case of which one is picked at a time. And for me, that's the thing that stands out about the league. Um, everything else that goes with it, the, the fan experience, I, I was lucky enough to get to a Patriots game um, last year, the fan experience is incredible. The full day, the the culture around the NFL is just it, it's just incredible, and you can see why it's just so engrossing for many people. Um, in terms of where we're at just now, um, you know, obviously Scott, your Oakland Raiders are on in the background just now. Um, they're playing the, um, London um, at the Tottenham Stadium. Where are we at with the Raiders? Um, give us a Derek Carr update. Is he still healthy? It's a it's going to be a weird season because I think this will be the season where uh, John Gruden will make a, a decision on Derek Carr as to where he keeps him or goes. In the two wins, he's looked great. In two losses, he's looked really bad. Forgetting the fact that he's four years removed from a, a kind of top five in MVP voting, he has had some injuries. He broke his leg, he broke a bone in his back, but it's really hard to actually put a scouting report out on him because in the, in the wins and against the Colts last week, that's a really tough team to beat at Indianapolis. He played really well. But then you go back to the Chiefs team, the, the Chiefs game, 
they don't have a particularly good defence. He threw three interceptions, some really bad throws. So I think this will be the season. If he doesn't, if he doesn't kind of pick up this year, I could see them potentially moving on from him at the end of the year. I'm no fan of Carroll, uh, the Raiders at all, but when you trade away a guy like Khalil Mack, um, when you don't bring him down to replace him or have anybody else of that standard or potential, um, you're kind of time one hand behind the team's back. So Khalil Mack, generational player. I think we can all pretty much agree on that. John, Ru- John Gruden comes into the Raiders on a 10-year deal, which, yeah, 10-year <laughs> deal. Um, <laughs> wow. He then makes a decision to um, to cut Khalil Mack or, or trade them. Scott, what, what's uh, what, what's going on there? I don't think you can actually put any logic to it. As you say, he's a generational player. Right now, he's probably front runner for defensive player of the year, which he won as a member of the Raiders. And forgetting at the time, Khalil Mack, when he was with the Raiders, they weren't a good defence. He was literally a one-man kind of wrecking crew, if you will. And I've, I've always hated the concept of how valuable draft picks are in the NFL, first-rounders. I get that it can help you rebuild very quickly, but when you've already got that cornerstone in your team and you decide to trade them away for an unknown, I mean, a great example is Jonathan Abram, the safety, who looked really good in game one. Uh, I think he tore his labrum out for the season. These are the kind of things you just can't account for in the NFL. Is labrum? I think it is. What's a labrum? labrum? Shoulder. I'm quite interested to find out what a labrum (laughs) is. It sounds... uh, I I think it was labrum, check that. This is... It sounds like a David Bowie film for the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like a podcast, um, a a word that I don't know if we can use. I'm going to check this, but again, the point just um, how valuable draft picks are, I I just don't agree with trading away um, kind of cornerstone players, especially at the point where he was quite clearly the number one player for the, the Raiders in sense of trading to Chicago. Their defence has yeah. kind of overturned their defence. They are so hard to break down now. Well, well, the one thing that everybody knows is that in, when it comes to the draft, you wait until the sixth round and then you pick the 199th <laughs> pick. That's just fact. Especially fact. if he's a quarterback. That's exactly what And I have just checked. It is, it's either Labrum or Labrum. And that is a yep, shoulder, yep, sorry. Show me the Wikipedia file, so that must be true. Can you stop saying labrum and just tell me what part of the body it is? Is it a shoulder? Yeah, shoulder. Right. It's uh, in the upper labrum area. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you talk about generational players, Khalil Mack, um, your Oakland Raiders featured on this year's Hard Knocks. Um, Antonio Brown, you get burned with that guy. <laughs> what a fool. I think we've all been burned with Antonio Brown. Um, Don't you turn this into a Patriots Raiders thing. It was just a shame. I'd, I'd high hopes that if he kind of got his head straight that he'd be a great option for Carr. Um, and they kind of let it say that his behaviour the better. I can't believe he's filing a grievance against the two teams who... He didn't want to be there right from the start. Uh, there was no way Steelers were going to trade him to a, a rival, basically. Um I feel that trade to the Patriots was always going to happen, whether it was this season, next season at some point. Obviously not next season because uh, he had a few few skeletons in the closet. So, he, he departs Oakland. I mean, the reason I have to... This is the story of the year. I mean, I don't know what can happen between now and you know the first Sunday in February when the Super Bowl's done, but Antonio Brown is without doubt the story of the year. Um, he leaves the Oakland Raiders. He forces his way out of there, having been at the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, who wouldn't train trade him to the Patriots, understandably. And then he gets this move to the Patriots, and Paul Marlin, it's it's an incredible week. Patriots fans suddenly turn from we have this idea of the Patriots being this great organisation who have morals and standards and then they bring in Antonio Brown and everybody forgets those morals and standards. To be fair, at that point, Antonio Brown, week one, was just a kind of a bit of a crank rather than anything else. Let, bit, let, of a, let, bit of a character that is uh, um, let's tread bit of a renegade. Let's <laughs> tread very carefully with what we say here. <laughs> bit of a renegade, bad attitude, but how many players, great players, have bad attitudes? Might be sent attention, however... We sign him. Two days later, um, there's law case. Uh, S- uh, civil, civil suit. Civil yeah. suit. Civil suit's brought out against him. The only thing you have to kind of question about the Patriots is, doesn't did they know about it? And let's be realistic: is Bill Belichick going to sign a player, and he doesn't know kind of background like that? Things on the horizon because it's it's not very Bill Belichick. Th- th- there's nothing within the Patriots 
DNA, armor, um, and the kudos that are afforded to Josh McDaniels, Bill Belichick, that makes you think they wouldn't, they would have picked someone off the cuff. And the timelines now become very important. It's a huge story, obviously. Um, and in the USA, I was about to say in Massachusetts, but it's just massive everywhere. There will be people whose awareness of the league, or first awareness of the league, you know, you know, people over here, young guys, you know, maybe 15, 16, you know, big sports fans who are now becoming aware of the NFL because of Antonio Brown. We should point out he is... I mean, he is, or he was, I suppose, because he said that he'll never play in the NFL again. He is, was one of the best wide receivers. I mean, we only seen him in um, one one week for the Patriots because he never made week two. Um, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, after week two, you're thinking <coughs> Super Bowls in the bag. Um, <laughs> listening, listening to kind of American uh, kind of radio. Um, I believe there was an interview with Tom Brady's father after week one, um, just after Antonio Brown signed and that fantastic performance against the Steelers, basically saying, should we just go to the Super Bowl now and uh, you can send a team for their division? Well, that's nice. I'm sure that will help the the way people view the Patriots. Very unpatriot-like. <laughs> um, so you were burned by Antonio Brown, Scott. We managed to get to see him for a week, so I think we've been burned less, slightly less. Um but in terms of the story of the year, that that's it. In terms of where the teams stand, um, your Raiders are are playing in London um, at Tottenham Stadium, which it has to be said, Tottenham Stadium looks incredible. Um, I, I think the one criticism of the NFL in London, you know, we should probably point it out, is that you don't have the same atmosphere because there obviously is not a London team. Um, but it certainly looks like a great event. Um, I think they're doing a lot, the NFL, to, to build the game over here and probably evidence by the fact that we're watching it. Um, I should note, as I speak, that Harry Kane is on the park as well. Um, I don't believe that for a second. Does Harry Kane like the NFL? It's not like the BBC <laughs> tell us like, every single time the NFL comes to London. Unfairness for Stephen Goskowski out. Um, I think we need a kicker, <laughs> so we, we could maybe chat to him. Um, Scott, the Raiders season, what, what, what are the expectations? Let, let's be honest, let's get this out of the way quickly. I mean, you know, what's the expectations this year? They don't project to be very good. I think a realistic kind of projection at the start of the year was kind of 8-8, eight and, eight, and I think they could be that kind of middle of the pack team. I still think they've got enough kind of good weapons that they can win games against kind of poor teams, but I think when it comes to that, they've still got a really tough division with the Chargers and the Chiefs. Uh, still got some tough fixtures today against the Bears. They're just not giving points away against anyone, so I think 8-8 would be realistic. I'd, I'd struggle to see us making the playoffs, and it'll be on to the, kind of the, the, the second year of the rebuild next year, I'd assume. It, it, it's How, what, what year are we on now with the rebuild for the Raiders? <laughs> Well, this is technically year one with the Khalil Mack trade. This is the first year we've actually had the, the draft picks accumulated, so this is technically year one, I would say. Well, this is the interesting thing, I think, particularly about the Raiders, and I don't want to spend too long looking at you know, our teams because obviously there's, there's 32 teams in the league, but with the Raiders, John Gruden has a 10-year deal. It's not easy you know, if they decide at the end of this year. Obviously, there's a lot going on. Um, there's the, the, the new stadium, which is looks absolutely phenomenal. Um, so there is a wider plan here beyond the, the the results, but when you've got a coach who's got a 10-year contract, you, you can't really then decide in a whim, this guy's not the guy anymore because the, the cost of the organisation is incredible. So irrespective of how this year goes, you know that you've probably got John Gruden at least for three, four, five years now. We, we should point out that obviously people will be familiar that head coaches in the league tend to last longer than you know the sport that we grew up watching um, you know, football, soccer, depending on which way you stand, but that's still, I mean, that's unpre- a 10 year deal must be unprecedented in the league, I would imagine. That's incredible. It's pretty unprecedented, in fairness, and I think a lot of people were baffled at the time. I think a lot of people loved the fact that it was a good kind of analyst on the, the great analyst. ESPN Monday night games and took that that he could jump into an NFL head coach role. I mean, he, he won a Super Bowl with the, the Bucks when was that, 2002, 2001? Um, can't recall the exact year, but. To say that a man can come back out of the league after that amount of time out and be a top level head coach again, I think it's it's but but balls out the bath on John Gruden in and out out for now. I'll give him time <laughs> <laughs> out and then coming back in. Okay, um, Paul Patriots. Unfortunately, the Super Bowl was in a bag, but it's kind of slipped out the bag now. And as we go into week five, um, a couple of s- obviously Antonio Brown's gone. Um, which probably for the best because we're not going to go into it. 
because between the three of us, we don't have the financial clout to take the... <laughs> he, he will sue us. That, that's just a fact. But we've got a couple of other, you know, issues, kicking issues, injuries. Where, where do the Patriots stand at the moment? For me, a big issue is the backs, offensive backs. Um, you know, Devlin out injured. Mm-hmm. Don't know how long he's going to be out for. For me, it's not a position that a lot of teams put a lot of emphasis on, but Patriots over the last few years definitely... Uh, have benefited from using a guy like Devlin, uh, also backed up by a guy, a tight end like Gronkowski. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people last season were kind of groaning about how um, Gronkowski wasn't maybe as good offensively, but some of the big plays last season that got them um, into the, the kind of playoff um, playoff games was due to some really good good blocking, excluding the Miracle Miami game. Um you know, guys like Devlin, um, he'll be a big, big miss. Uh, Goskowski, let's hope it was a hip injury that's kind of caused the, the decline this season. Well, Goskowski's an interesting one on the basis that he, he, he's a legend. Great. But, he's, but he's a legend because he's clutch yeah. and he, he does miss kicks, but he's never, or, or he doesn't tend to miss the kicks that we let, need. You know? Let you down. Exactly. But, there is a real concern, I think, this season over Stephen Guskowski, and the Patriots have worked out alternatives now, um, which is something we've obviously beca- became really aware of this week. Um, and the injury, but you know, if I look at the Patriots' injury report today, we've got um, oh, so Burkhead on that as well. Yep, yeah, Burkhead's big, out for big, the Redskins, miss, especially this season. Yeah, and these guys offer flexibility. Rex Burkhead is a go-to guy last week, certainly. Um, Patrick Chung out, Nate Ebner out. Um, obviously, there's been Edelman picked up an injury. The the Patriots probably. The one thing, that, in my opinion, and obviously I'm entirely biased, the one thing they've been able to do is deal with that adversity and flex the squad, uh, flex the roster better than you would expect. And we've been able to manage it. How many more times can Bill Belichick realistically do that? Yeah, you have to kind of wonder how much last season took out of a lot of maybe not top players in the league. It kind of gave everything they had. For me... Guys like Burkhead, if they're in other teams, they're not necessarily stars. However, in this system, a guy like Burkhead absolutely thrives. Mm-hmm. Um, same with guys like Devlin. Um, as we're going to lose him for a good good chunk of the season, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, Sonny Michel, for me, he was absolutely brilliant in the playoffs. But for other top-level running backs in the NFL this year, he doesn't give you that run option. Eh, sorry, the catch option, which mm-hmm. a lot of top, high-quality high running backs give you. If he's not able to find gaps that your tight end and your, your fullback are going to create. Sonny Michel, for me, doesn't really give you a lot. As soon as he feels a bit of contact for me, he kind of chucks it. Well, I, th- I think the issue is you've, when you've got a guy like James White who's just been... Then the, the standard is set so high that really it's difficult to um He's another to guy, that. though, that's putting his body on the line for a, a good few seasons now, especially for the Patriots. Uh, guys like Edelman, he's 32 now. How much punishment can that guy take? For being such a good wide receiver, um, it takes a lot, a lot of big hits. And I feel at 32, there's only so long you can kind of cope with that. Scott, from an outsider's point of view, um, w- me and Paul have obviously enjoyed your Patriots um, predictions over the years. You you were obviously a big fan of the Eagles team in 2017. <laughs> um, where do you stand in the Patriots at the moment? How's it looking? I think that the injuries is a, a problem for any team to, to lose key players. I think especially at positions like kicker, where... We've seen over the years how important that is. That can be the difference. I can have two, three game swing in terms of the end of season standings. But I think the system the employee has shown over the years where they've lost guys like Edelman for the season, Gronkowski, Hightower, a lot of key guys and still been able to win games. Even the year Brady gets suspended, they were three and one without him. I think it goes to show how Belichick has a kind of plan B in place for things like that. In terms of what you were saying about some of the options, I totally agree. Um, Sony Michelle, I, I do like him as a running back, but I think there was a, a very high percentage of plays that the Patriots play. When he's on the field, you know that it's going to be a run or he's going to be a blocker. Like, I think for a running, a top-level running back, as you say, not to be able to provide that kind of receiver for it is a problem. But I think just the Patriots system in general, they should still be able to win games given some of these um, losses. I think the kicker position might be a bit more of an issue. I always mm-hmm. think it's important to have a good kicker on your team. I, I think as well we should point out, we, we saw Michelle, second-year rookie. You know, he's still a, a second-year in, in the league. He, he's still got a bit to go, but as a running back, 
you've got a limited career, you know, generally, unless you are one of the, you know, essentially unbelievable, you know, physical guys like Marshawn. That can take that amount of punishment. It's, you know, all the positions, yeah, all the open field hits, you might be catching one or two a game, but running back, if you've got a run-heavy team, you're getting smashed an awful lot, especially off of big guys. Your running backs are the guys who are really in the front lines and you've got a limited time in the league and you've got to be very mindful of that and more now than ever um, so that's obviously something to be aware of we probably and I apologise in advance Paul we probably have to when we're talking about the league we're talking about the league at the moment obviously the Patriots obviously likely to, to be there thereabouts certainly make the off season um, or, or make the post season sorry the Kansas City Chiefs Scott Patrick Mahomes um, I can't because, and I won't but you can tell us about him he, he is incredible I mean the guy he watches unbelievable even last week against the Lions he didn't have a particularly good game still with the drive at the end of the game that kind of sealed it for the Chiefs but he is like a kind of different breed of quarterback I don't think there's been anything like him in the league before and there's always been that guy that's come in that's been that kind of hybrid where people have spoke about him but some of the throws he makes just the way that offence just seems to kind of fire on all cylinders the majority of the time I think in terms of the FC in general, I can't really see anything past the, the Pats and the Chiefs. I just think it's a, those two seem destined for that championship game. They're cutting out on the door, but they are really good to watch this year. Paul, last year we had a... Obviously, Mahomes last year was incredible. I thought... Um, I, I'm only joking in terms of... The, the guy's incredible. He's, he's a hybrid of probably a number of quarterbacks, a number of great quarterbacks. He's got the um, out-the-pocket skills of, kind of Russell Wilson. He can scramble... Um, but he can also throw, and he can he can see things that are just um, just incredible. I love watching him as a Patriots fan. Though he's a real threat. What the game last year? You had a great experience of the game last year, obviously. Um, the um, divisional final. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, as I say, I was kind of on holiday in uh, Switzerland at the time. Very very middle class of me. Um, <laughs> I had two kind of choices, get to my bed early, um, up nice and early for skiing, of all things, being in Switzerland. It's, it's now went from middle class <laughs> to upper class. <laughs> um, but I thought, you know what, I've been following, I've been listening to um, Zolak and the Bertrand podcast yeah. all week, it's get myself hyped up. Scott Zolak, um, I was about to say former Patriots quarterback, but not quite, but he's, he's a good Patriots famous man. for being a commentator now. He is, he's an incredible commentator. Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know what, I'll stay up and watch the first quarter, it was like... Two in the morning, I think. Um, I was watching it very quietly and in dark, on my side, my laptop up, illuminate the room while my, my partner slept next to me. Try not to wake her. Um, after the kind of masterful um, game management of Tom Brady in the first quarter, I was thinking, you know, I need I need to stay up and watch this. Um, this is a big, big game. This is a going to be a big moment in NFL history. Um, true to form, one quarter turned into four. Um, and then a bit of overtime as well. And sure enough, uh, Patriots delivered uh, a fantastic performance. To be fair, Kansas City Chiefs did their part as well, but again, it's all about Tom Brady. With that, that time of year, uh, there's nothing finer than Tom Brady with the eye black on and uh, a balaclava. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I, I remember we had watched, I think the week before, um, we'd been out with a couple of friends and we'd watched the Chargers game. Um, and that, that was a little bit different, but... The, the, the game last year with the Chief, uh, you can see why American media went very quickly with the idea of it's Brady and Mahomes passing the torch because Mahomes, it's difficult for young quarterbacks coming into the league and we've, we've got a batch of young quarterbacks and, and I know we're going to kind of come on and talk about that a little bit briefly. But Patrick Mahomes is looks like a real tap. He's something different and I think he seems to me that he has the intelligence and the reading of the game that makes you believe that he has got not only two, three, four years at the top with this Kansas City team, but he's got 10, 15 years as a top-level quarterback because I don't think he relies just on his, his scrambling ability or anything like that. He can see plays, and he takes a lot of risks, absolutely, but I think that'll I get ironed out over the years. That's what makes a good quarterback for me. Um, you watch a lot of guys that are good system quarterbacks, like Jared Goff, any other team, the guys... He's probably struggling to get a game, um, but he's he's got a good coach that kind of coaches him through games. Um, but 
guy like Patrick Mahomes can do things on the fly, which for me is what makes a good quarterback. Um, he can change, he can adapt. If he skips a tackle, if he manages to spin out of something, it's not over for him. He doesn't throw necessarily throw the ball at, uh, throw out the park, doesn't throw it into the ground. There's something on, there's always something ready for him. Um, and I think that's kind of what gives him the edge. It, it, it makes things happen. Scott, Patrick Mahomes, you've got Derek Carr. As what else? <laughs> that's just that, that's just a dig. That's actually, that's the first time the two that's of them we mentioned the same breath. I think. Uh, apologies, that that was just a, a clear dig there. Um, f- from my point of view, I, I really think the Chiefs are a threat. I think they're massive. I think they're um, they've got real talent in that roster beyond um, Patrick Mahomes. But you know, we we talk about good teams and good quarterbacks. You mentioned there about guys that are willing to take risks. There's other guys that are willing to take risks in the league. And we've seen that, especially from young quarterbacks. But I think he's got enough talent around him that he's got things on, and, and that's the difference. Um, Scott, in terms of what else we've got in the league, what else you're looking out for this year, we've talked a lot about the AFC and the NFC. It's The the nature and the scope of it seems to have changed, in my opinion, now that well, with Drew Brees going down. I think that's huge. What can we expect from the NFC? I think that is that's the one conference where there's just it's very open at the moment in terms of I've got no idea who's going to be the the last two to try and compete for that Super Bowl place. The Saints are still competing with Bridgewater. Uh, their defenses came through leaps and bounds without Breeze. Great, great week last week. Teddy Bridgewater beating the Cowboys, who are another contender. I really like them on both sides. And you've got other teams in the mix there. The Bears' defence is just stifling. And that can... We've seen in examples with the Seahawks where Russell Wilson's an experienced quarterback where their defence carried them to a Super Bowl. Um, other teams out there, like Packers, Eagles, there is a, a lot of potential contenders in there. I think four games is quite early to make a decision. I mean, after kind of three weeks, a lot of people are hyping the Cowboys and Packers. But given the teams they'd faced, I think it's hard to make that distinction between kind of contender and where they will end up being just a, a wild card or whatever it might be but um, that is, that's a really good uh, conference to watch I think there's five or six teams there that could potentially be there uh, come the, kind of the, the NFC Championship game I think the Cowboys would be there if they had a better coach head coach in my opinion and I just want to get that out there because you're going to hear that from me a lot I think the Dallas Cowboys are America's team they've got everything going from they do not have an elite level coach in my opinion and I think he's holding the talent that they have their back and you could get a lot more out of that but you know we'll, we'll get there I suppose totally um, agree with that and I, I think a lot of that is um, Jerry Jones kind of refusing to release control of that is his team there's no many teams in the league where there's an owner who has such a yeah. um, high level of control over the kind of personnel and team and things like that and I think that is the thing with um, Jason Garrett is he, he does have this reputation as being a bit of a puppet and I think in big games he's shown that He's maybe not got what it takes to make that kind of play when the game's on the line. He kind of bring the Cowboys through. Paul, you mentioned him earlier, great head coach, um, Sean McVeigh of the Rams. Um, it's not been a great start for the Rams, but I mean, last year's Super Bowl not a classic. You mentioned they've got good defenses. Um, last year's Super Bowl was probably an example of good defenses, but Rams this year. Rams this year um, do not look great at all. Um, they've got some great attacking options, guys like Cooper Cup, Cooks. Um, but defensively, you can't lose that many points against the Bucks for me. Like I don't care how well the Bucks appear to be doing, they're not a good team. Nah. nah I, I, you talk about quarterbacks that take risks. <laughs> James Winston takes risks. We've got to be careful. What we say. In, a st- on and off the <laughs> in a strong position, again, talk about on field. <laughs> um, and he throws that pick the last week. It is incredible. I couldn't believe it. Actually, I agree with uh, what Paul saying about the Rams. Um, there's been a couple of times where I, I feel like McVeigh's kind of, I think since the Super Bowl, I think it's maybe getting in his head a little bit. Goff has shown that maybe he's no the. He was first round pick, uh, the first overall pick. He's not been up to scratch. Um, and you're starting to see with the Rams. Defensively, you've still got Donald, who again, talk about generational players. He can still potentially tilt a game in a team's favour just himself. But 
I think with the, the two corners, Peters and Talib, particularly at the start of the season, they started really old, struggling to cover, whereas they played really well against the Patriots. Like, and if you've not got that kind of defensive edge, teams like the Bucks, who are only a great team, they can start putting you off. If you've not got that secondary or, or that defence, it can really stop teams scoring points. So, I, th- I think we've... I'm, I'm trying to think, is there any... I mean, Jimmy, G, Jimmy G's 49ers, we've not even spoke about them yet. They're undefeated. They're up there with Kansas City and uh, the Patriots. Uh, they're the only undefeated team in the league. I mean, 49ers. I'm, I'm, I'm very close to muting that, Mike. Ah, yeah. I mean, the 49ers are just a, a victim of circumstance when you go over the games. The amount of turnovers Garoppolo's had. Like, these are a couple of these games they've won have really been games who have teams who have wanted to kind of lose just a little bit less and I think that's where the 49ers will I don't think they'll be there competing at the end of the year we could be wrong Paul Mallon you were born in the 1980s it's not the 1980s okay the, the 49ers time has been <laughs> our time is now old man um, other than that I, I think that's when you're looking at running riders in the league I, I think the Cowboys were strong I think th- there's a lot of interest in the Browns but in my opinion, not a legitimate contender. I think they're very exciting. And I'll be honest, I mean, we know from, obviously we met a Cleveland uh, Browns fan when we were on um, holiday last year and what, what, what a guy he was. Um, <laughs> I think the word we would describe as a, a character. Um, if there's a city and a franchise that deserves success, it probably is Cleveland. Scott will know that as well through um, um, through the Cavaliers as well, the, you know, a very loyal fan base, but I don't think they're there yet. They've got a lot of talent. They've obviously got Odell Beckham, who's probably the biggest star in the league, um, realistically. He's got a fantastic watch collection. Other than that, I'm not really too sure what he's uh, gave the Browns this year, other than a wee bit of publicity in the game one. It's it's, it's a couple of games in. He, he has the Odell Beckham's probably the he, he's the league's kind of poster boy star, isn't he at the moment? He is a star. I mean, he's won 100 yard game this year, which he played well. I think that was against the Jets, but. I just don't trust Cleveland. Their, their offensive line's terrible. Don't really trust the coach. Mayfield struggled a lot, which offensive line can matter when it comes to a quarterback and protecting them, but they've got a lot of options. Uh, their two receivers, Beckham and Landry, are top receivers in the league. And Joe, who looks like a real talent tight end. They've got um, Chubb. Nick Chubb, who looks like a superstar in the making. Um, I just don't trust their kind of coaching, their offensive line. I think they could be an already kind of middle in the pack, eight and eight, nine and seven teams. And, and I think this is people who are kind of just getting into the league, just becoming aware of it, will will be will understand that you know you've got guys like Tom Brady, um, Odell Beckham Jr., huge guys who are the poster boys. But in reality, the league is defined by everyone doing a little bit. I really had to stop myself saying there, do your job, but <laughs> I think I should deserve kudos for not. But the league, it's the dirty work, it's the unglamorous bits that make a team, and that's what, in my opinion, that's what wins Super Bowls. Tom Brady, of course, clutch. Odell Beckham can one-hand catches. You know, there's incredible talent in the league, but it's it's your corners, your left tackles, your right tackles, your guards that really can make a difference in this league, and they, they those guys don't get coverage. Um, and And... Uh, certainly not, you know, externally, uh, and and that's that's why the league's so fascinating because you can scratch beneath that surface and there's just so much there and there's so much content. There's just you can spend as much time as you like reading about the, the rosters, etc. A lot of it as well is bottle in particular positions. Oh, there's a bottle. Like, um, I bet that's a phrase that our American friends will not be aware <laughs> of. Bottle. Like so, talking about the Browns, like Baker Mayfield's, he ducks two or three tackles and then thinks he's clear doesn't realise there's got to be further pressure. I don't know how many times I've seen this season alone, um, sacks he's, where he's actually skipped a, a tackle, got away from somebody, and then he gets sacked. Because, I, I don't know, he's, how can you not have options when you've got OBJ, Landry, and also Chubb, who were, I was talking about earlier on, like, say, he's a running back, but he's also an option passing. Uh, uh, incredible talent. Absolutely incredible talent. Um, Baker Mayfield, that I, I think, is exciting. I like watching him, but I wouldn't want him as my quarterback. No, he, he talks a good game and he likes to talk a lot of trash, but this season he's definitely no backed it up. I know two and two, they're no bad, they had a really good win against the Ravens last uh, week, but um, in, in terms of when, when you're talking that much and out of any of the quarterbacks in the league, he probably talks the most, you're no backing that up on the field and that's what you need to do. It, it, it looks to me like he is a quarterback who enjoys a tailgate before a game. Yeah. That, that's what it looks like to me. His most famous point this year is uh, chugging a beer. That's that's kind of what d- his, his talent level is this year. F- 
fair. I, I, I'm on with board. Scott, can, can Derek Carr chug a beer? Surely he could do something. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've not actually seen him do it, but I think he could. Right, well. I think he could. He does look like a better drinker. Um, no disrespect to him. You know, but I'm pretty sure he was like born in kind of like the, the country and... I don't know if he, I, I could be hitting a primary as a, a kind of farm boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologise if I'm wrong, but I think he could chug a beer no bother. Right, okay. Well, we'll come back to that. I'm going to go that after. Um, Ricky Quarterbacks, Paul, you've done a wee bit of research. You've, you've got a scout report. You're, you're Gardner Minshew. You want uh, Minshew, sorry. Minshew the second. Minshew the second, of course. Um, you're going to tell us a little bit about him. I, I, I should just note that as well. Paul was dying to get this on the agenda. Um, he phoned Scott in the middle of the night last night. <laughs> that he wanted to talk about Gardner Minshew. <laughs> so, Paul, here's your opportunity. Uh, pressure's on, I suppose. Yep. Um, talking about quarterbacks that enjoy chugging beers, um, I feel Gardner Minshew the second. Fits that very, very aptly. Um, a guy I wasn't really expected much uh, from him this season, to be honest, with Nick Foles coming into Jags. Um, you know, that, that was a statement enough itself, getting rid of Bortles and bringing in Foles. Um, and Jags luck. Uh, Foles injures was it he's, he's labbing him thank <laughs> 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 you fractured his collarbone in game one that that famous Labrador injury uh, <laughs> quarterback suffer took his dog to the vets um, but uh, yeah up steps Gardner Minshew the second comes in is it is it Gardner or is it Gardner 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 right okay Gardner? so it's Gardner Minshew the second Gardner so it's Gardner not Denner just G-A-R-D N-E-R. Gardner. It's a hard one for that. <laughs> well, don't worry, this will get cut. Right. Um, but yeah, for me, he's playing a trash team, the Jags. Um, a lot of Jalen Ramsey stuff going on. Um, watching the Denver game last week, no matter how good Garner Minshew was, um, the Broncos just basically focused on that safety position. It was non-existent. So everything Minshew did, getting Jags points on the board... Um, Flacco just targeted that position that was um, hollow. Um, f- for me, um, I do think he's in the mould of your, your old school quarterback that you know can think, can make a decision on the fly, doesn't necessarily um, rely on daddy in his ear telling him what plays to make. I, I like that. That's slightly unsettling, but also <laughs> it kind of works. Daddy in his ear, okay. Um, so far, um, from kind of three games and three quarters, he's sitting on seven touchdowns, which again, for the Jags, is fantastic because, as I said, they're a trash team. Um, he's a guy I'm excited about. I do enjoy uh, whenever he's on the field. Um, he's another guy that ducks tackles, makes passes, makes big plays. Um, seven touchdowns, one interception. I mean, you compare that to other rookie quarterbacks in the league uh, making their, their first kind of starts. You know, pretty much within the first drive, they've made an interception, uh, and they're heralded as great quarterbacks. Uh, for me, I do feel Minshew has the skills. Um, being a round six pick as well, um, it's a good. good it's a great moment. indicator. That's that's where that's where all the best players are picked. Um, Scott talked just about Aaron Rodgers at the start of the podcast, um, and how incredible he is. And the the one thing that I find Aaron Rodgers is able to do, partly because of that that Packers defense at times, but also not because of that Packers defense at times, he can extend a play maybe for a second, two seconds, three seconds, and as a quarterback, that can be huge. I mean, a sec, an extra second in the pocket with the opportunity for them things to develop and shake out can be can be the difference, and that's what Gardner Minshew can potentially can potentially offer. He, he made a play last week where I was going to compare it to Rodgers and I thought I would get mocked, so I'm glad you said it first. <laughs> he dodged about four tackles in the pocket and, like you say, extending the play, made a great throw, scored a touchdown, and it was incredible to watch. And what I like about Minshew just now, obviously it's early doors, but I don't mind when rookie quarterbacks throw interceptions. It's just part and parcel of your kind of learning curve. What I like about him is his composure. Um, he seems very cool, he seems to make a lot of good decisions and I think for somebody that young, especially a sixth round draft pick, I think that bodes well for him uh, going forward um, to, to have that kind of composure in the pocket and 
be able to kind of evade tackles and stuff like that, I think it's all good signs. And if he throws a couple interceptions, it's going to happen. But I like what I see so far. I'm I'm conscious, but almost kind of just about to wrap up. I'm, I'm very conscious of time. But the one thing I want to ask, just in terms of what is the difference, you know, first round pick and a sixth round pick, expectations. If you get a first round pick, you are a name known nationally. You know, we think about, um, so even Trevor Lawrence, who's going to be the first pick, what, not this year, but next year, everybody's aware of him purely because he's... Allegedly. Yeah. He's a very bad start this year. Purely because you are going to be a first-round pick, whereas if you're a fifth, sixth-round pick, you really need to be either a huge college football fan or to have researched the draft incredibly to even know who these guys are. That probably makes a huge difference. It changes, obviously, when you're drafted then by, you know, any of the 32 franchises... But there's a huge difference in expectation between a first round pick and then, you know, beyond that. Because first, second, third round, everybody watches the draft, you know, over here. I mean, I've watched the draft, first 10 picks. Beyond that, I don't know if I spare three days to sit and watch the draft or whatever it is, you know. And that's huge. So I think there is there is context there and that is quite important. Definitely. I think there's a lot less pressure when you're a world round pick. So that. In a no-lose situation, a lot of these guys tend to need to work harder for their position, whereas first round, second round, is a lot more talent-based, and you're hoping you can develop this guy into an NFL starter. But definitely agree, obviously Brady's a great example. These guys come out of the league knowing if they don't work hard, then they'll go about the league in a couple of years. Whereas there's a, a yeah. lot of examples of first round picks who fail miserably but still get five or six years in the league because there's just an expectation that their talent will win through in the end. And the good thing is, Paul Marlon, we'll, we'll, we'll just ask Bill Belichick this question when he comes on a podcast. Um, <laughs> he will make his way down here to Glasgow. He'll pop in here. He'll have a couple of beers. He'll watch Red Zone when he's retired, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, you know, he's, he's not an idiot. Um, I feel when you're a, a first-round pick, especially as a quarterback, any other position, you can kind of make a name for yourself playing for a lower team that's not much expected from, like a wide receiver, a tackle... But when you're the quarterback, you're generally, if you're a number one round pick, you're being picked up by teams like Arizona, Giants, teams kind of lesser down. Nice, 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 that nice thing. <laughs> um, that are looking to you most likely to come in straight away. Um, whereas if you're a sixth round pick, you're a backup, a la Minshew. You know what I mean? You're a backup for a, a well-respected quarterback that's probably expected to play most of the season and get you to a playoff. Mm. That's why a guy like Foles is brought in. He's a clutch quarterback. Um, however, um, you know when you you get your opportunity as a sixth round pick, you're maybe four or five games into the season. You're up to speed right away. You're running lots of drills during the week before you've ever thrown a ball in anger, for mm. lack of a better phrase. Um, so for me, I think, you're, and also you're probably at a better team. Yeah. Because um, you know, if you're a first round pick as a quarterback you're going to a, a team kind of that struggled the year before because of poor defensive line, poor offensive line, whatever it may well, be. Well, this is exactly it. Obviously, for, if, you, if you're not entirely familiar with the draft, the, you know, it's the same with the NBA as well, um, which obviously we're big fans of um, as well. Paul, you're not a fan of it at all, in fairness. But, you know. <laughs> um, the, the teams who have finish the lowest essentially will then tend to get the higher picks there is a a, a methodology to it that we probably will never cover because it's excruciating but if say the new england patriots this year they're not going to have the number one pick next year so you tend to find that the players who are number one picks will then go to sides that need to improve um and and that helps the balance of league it's something we've talked about a lot um and it's it's a fascinating concept especially for um people who don't grow up in the kind of collegiate system um, in the States. Um, in terms of wrapping up, I think, but first of all, it's been good to be around the table talking NFL. The only difference is there's mics here and we're not swearing, so well done both um, for that. Um, what we're going to look to do um, in terms of from us, um, obviously we're just starting out, so any feedback is greatly appreciated. Um, we are on Twitter at, um, at Flag on the Field Pod. Um, at flag on the field pod um so give us a follow there um get in touch with us as well if there's anything you, any feedback anything you'd like to add if you thought it was garbage um you know keep that to yourself um we're, we're not interested in that we, we want positive reinforcement um but we'll try and look to do this at least 
um, once every two weeks, but you know, we've got ambitions to grow a bit better than that. Um, essentially, what we want to do is, is have an all-expenses-paid trip out to Gillette Stadium um, and, and meet Tom Brady, Robert Kraft, and Bill Belichick, um, and then maybe go for um, dinner and a massage with Rob Kraft afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be... Um, absolutely. Um, that would be nice. Um, but look, this has been great. I've really enjoyed it. Um, we're going to go and sit and watch Red Zone now because there's other games on that aren't the Raiders, so we'll actually sit and watch it. Um, Scott McElroy, thank you very much for your time this evening, sir. Thank you. Lovely. Paul Marlin, thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Lovely. Um, we're at Flag on the Field Pod. Um, thank you very much and uh, well, enjoy your games. 